Welcome to Straight from the Shack with Dart. Tonight I'm reading Moments of Impact by Tom Wilson. The search for meaning. After that first night in the burn ward I gave myself a stern talking to, I had to lose the self-pity. I committed to being coming a better person. I became and still am convinced there's somehow some things important to learn from my experience. As tragic as the cross crash and the loss of life was, I decided that it was going to be an equal tragedy if I failed to make meaning of it and grow from it. I clung to this conviction and it gave me the focus through my recovery. The pain was relentless. If you can imagine a time when you've ever burnt a finger or a forearm on a hot stove or toaster, then amplify that level by pain a thousand times or more. You'll get a sense of what I was feeling. Burns are unlike the pain from a cut or broken bone. The pain associated with those types of injuries gradually subdues. We can often find a comfortable position with a bruise or a cut, and if we're careful not to move, the pain temporarily disappears. The pain from burns does not decrease intensity from hour to hour. There's no such thing as a comfortable position to lie in that will alleviate the pain. It's on high level all the time. I hated every second of it, but there was nothing I could do except decide to accept it and try to find a way th to fight through it. In the days ahead, there was a number of moments of impact in the burn ward that I specifically remember for the manner in which they affected me. Every moment served a different purpose in my search for meaning. The Daily Routine Day 2 The burn ward marches to a pretty strict schedule for things like visiting hours, meals, and bandage changes. Each patient in the ward needs a great deal of care and attention, so keeping things on a strict schedule is important to maintain order. I remember meeting the day shift who came in early the next morning. I liked her right away. The, burns, the nurses in the burn ward were amazingly gentle, caring, and compassionate people. They would patiently listen to all of my questions and do their best to answer them. Although my experience in the burn ward was terrible, the people that helped me there through it were part of my experience that I cherish. I started to question the day nurse about my recovery and how long it would take before the pain would subside. I think she was pretty used to this lining of questions from new patients and she handled it very professionally. She explained that she really couldn't tell me. The doctors would continue to assess my wounds every day until they would decide that the best route for me would be. She told me the pain would get better, but she didn't know how quickly. I could feel that she empathized with me and I knew she was telling the truth. No matter how, I, how much I wanted to know when the pain would get better, no one would able, was able to tell me that. The nurses went on to explain how my daily schedule would go. I would have some personal time until mid-morning, then all of my bandages would be removed. The doctors would do a daily assessment of my wounds, after which an occupational therapist would come to work with me on regaining movement. Once the therapist was done, the nurses would give me a short sponge bath and rebandage my body. For the initial stages of my stay, this was going to be my daily routine. In time, as my healing progressed, I would be allowed to leave the room and spend afternoons with an occupational therapy therapist doing additional exercise for strength, sensation, and movement. 
This conversation with the nurse lifted my spirits. It felt like there was something being done to assist my recovery. There was a plan beyond being drugged and left to lie in bed all day. These people knew what they were doing, and the difference between a burning unit and intensive care unit was obvious. The same hope that made my fight to survive on the island was coming back. I was alive in the care of a great hospital, and I would get through this. That conversation with the nurse left me feeling the best I had felt since the crash. I kept repeating to myself that I would get through this. I still didn't understand how difficult the times ahead of me would be. Shortly after speaking with the nurse, I saw my parents through the large glass window. They entered the scrub room, gown up, and came in to say good morning. I was feeling positive, and it was nice to have someone to talk to. I shared my enthusiasm and new excitement about my recovery with my parents, and we had a good little visit. I think my parents were relieved to see that I had renewed hope. It was still obvious how heavily my injuries weighed on them. Now that I am a father myself, I understand how difficult it must have been for my dad. Feeling helpless, watching your child in that kind of condition must have been awful. The nurses always gave me a needle of additional morphine before my morning activities. I like to think I'm a tough guy with a high pain threshold, but I was thankful for the additional drugs when it came to the daily routine. After the injections came the unpleasant daily unwrapping of bandages. Sometimes I would get angry at the pain, but apologized to the nurses for my anger the entire time. The nurses were fantastic. They did all they could to keep me calm and always tried to avoid hurting me. They were still, they were my angels of the burn wound. The doctor, by contrast, was very matter-of-fact, almost cold, and lacked the empathy of the nurses. They were straight to business, as I suppose a doctor should be. The early assessments were mostly deciding on whether or not I needed surgery to do skin grafts on my forehead. The occupational therapist was a small East Indian man with a gentle demeanor similar to the nurses. On his first visit, he explained that it was his job to get me functioning again, and he took the time to explain how burns injure the body's joints. It didn't take me long to figure out what he was really telling me and that he was going to grab my hands and force my fingers to move for me. I could feel the anxiety and the panic returning. Having my bandages taken off was painful enough, but this was different. I sure as hell wasn't ready to have somebody grab my hand and start squeezing them shut for me. I started pleading with him to wait until tomorrow to get my fingers moving. I tried everything in my power to avoid what was about to happen. With a constant and gentle demeanor, he kept repeating that we had to get my fingers moving. He reached in and took a hold of my left wrist with his right hand. Then he went to place his left hand directly over mine. I started to involuntarily pull away. He quickly tightened his grip on my wrist and would not allow me to pull away. He placed his hands on top of mine, lining up his fingers individually with each of mine. The pain from his touch was brutal. He started squeezing his hands closed, forcing mine to do the same. The pain was excruciating. It seemed worse than being on fire. He only held onto my hand for about half a minute and flexed my fingers about 15 degrees, just enough to start bending my fingers a little. Then he let go. I pulled back and curled into a ball. 
He walked around to the other side of my bed and did exactly the same with his right hand. The experience on that hand was no better. If given the option, I would have been sedated for this daily exercise. It was hard to explain, but everything happened seemed to happen in slow motion and high speed at the same time. The seconds seemed longer, but the experience seemed to end quickly. It actually, it felt like it actually twisted my mind somehow. I now know that I would be doing the same agonizing exercise every morning. The anxiety this generated every morning was absolutely terrifying. I knew the man was only doing his job and he didn't mean me any harm and he didn't want to see me in pain. After he was done, he would quietly leave the room. I often hated the world and was an angry person after these visits until I could talk myself into being positive again. The nurses came back in to clean my wounds with a warm solution and rebandage me. I grew to enjoy this time with my nurses. They're always gentle and didn't hurt me very much at all. It gave us time to talk as well. We never really got into anything deep, mostly small chat, but was one of my favorite times. This was the only real time I had to talk to anyone other than my family. I loved the fact that my family was around me all the time, but having other people to talk to was important. I wasn't ready to talk about the crash yet, and I wasn't sure when I would be. I didn't want any visitors outside of my immediate family and the three closest friends from work. The afternoon seemed long, but I'd always look forward to my family coming back in the evening. There was a lot of time to think and be alone, which was okay. I had a lot of stuff to work out in my head and my heart. The anxiety, the questions, the guilt of surviving were the things that I battled with constantly. On the second night in the burn ward, late in the evening after visiting hours had ended, the night shift nurse came into the room and told me that there was a priest in the hallway asking if he could come and see me. The anger that I felt towards God in my time of despair on the island had not diminished. I was confused about the brutality that had been inflicted upon me and wondered about God's role in it. I'm not a particularly religious man, but agreed to speak to the priest to see where the conversation might go. It was a strange feeling, waiting for him to gown up and come into my room. Anxiety mixed with a calmness that I can't really explain. The priest came into the room and over to the side of my bed. Although I'm sure he introduced himself, I can't remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. I'd like to thank him for the difference he made that night and in my recovery as a whole. Even now, in times of need, I find my thoughts going back to the words that, that night. After introducing himself, he explained that he liked to come down to the burn ward and hoped to provide comfort to patients and to be just a good listener if they wanted to talk. He asked my name and how I came to be in the burn ward. I told him who I was and talked about the plane crash. He smiled at me and said, Oh, you're that very special man who survived. Again, it was hard to explain, but from the way that he spoke and looked at me, I felt immediate and deep warmness in my heart. The first thing he did was pay respect to the others by saying a prayer for them. He somehow knew that it was important for me to honor them. I spoke about my anger towards God for taking their life, and the priest told me 
that he too thought it was a tragic loss of life and didn't seem fair or reasonable to us, but that we're not always meant to understand God's plan. He said we could only mourn their loss and pray for them. He went on to say that we had to remember to pray for ourselves too. We had to pray for healing and for peace, even though we may never understand or accept tragic events. It wasn't his words so much that helped me to start to find peace, but rather the way he delivered them. The priest turned his focus back to my survival. He had read some of the interviews from the rescue personnel about my unlikely survival and felt it was a miracle that I was still alive. He also believed there was a reason I was alive, and in his words, God had a purpose for me in life, and whatever that purpose was, I had not fulfilled it yet. I could feel how passionate he believed what he was saying, and it brought peace to my heart to hear someone else confirming my thinking, although at this point I didn't associate God with my searching for meaning. Who knows, maybe telling you my, telling you my story and affecting you... Let me try that again. Who knows, maybe telling you my story and affecting one of your future decisions is that purpose. The conversation with the priest was a powerful moment of impact in my life. After delivering his uplifting message, he quietly told me to get some rest and assured me he would come back and see me sometime. As quickly as it appeared, he was gone. The priest never did come back, but I'll always remember the conversation and the impact it had of all the special moments that helped me through my recovery to good physical, mental, and spiritual health, this is the moment that affected me the most. I was still angry that others had died, but now I believed there was a reason I had lived. It gave me something to believe in and helped me deal with the guilt of surviving. Men that I considered to be better than me. Day 3 At the time of the crash, I'd been separated from my longtime girlfriend, Lasha. We'd been together for six years previously, but were taking a break from our relationship. Lasha lived in Calgary, a three-hour drive south of Edmonton. On the evening of day three, I saw her standing at the large glass window looking into my room. Our reunion that evening was very emotional. On the Tuesday following the crash, Lasha had been reading the newspaper as part of her morning ritual and noticed a title an article titled, Edmonton Man, Sole Survivor of Plane Crash. She wondered if she knew the person and started reading the article. When she saw my name in print and realized I was a survivor, she instantly felt sick to her stomach. She cried uncontrollably with tears streaming down her face as she told me how she found out what had happened. Lasha had contacted the hospital in Vancouver, but due to the security measures that had been placed to protect me from the media, the hospital would not confirm I was there. My family had all left Edmonton to join me in BC, so she hadn't been able to contact them either. It wasn't until my family returned to Edmonton that Lasha was finally able to make contact and find out where I was. Lasha refused to leave my side that night that she joined me in the burn ward of the U of A hospital. She broke the visiting hour rules and slept by my bed in an uncomfortable chair with her hand on my leg the entire night, just to let me know that she was there. My reason for being distanced from Lasha before the crash were all meaningless now. 
as there were with every person in my life. As I watched her sleep, I reflect on how I had taken her for granted. I thought to myself, if I would have died on that island, the last words I would have wanted to say her, her, to her were not the ones I would have chosen to remember me by. It was another moment of impact that helped bring the mistakes of my previous ways into clear focus. <clears throat> day 4 On day 4 of the board, burn ward, I was told that I had been reassigned to a psychiatrist to help me through my potential post-traumatic stress disorder. During our first meeting, I spoke about my commitment to being a better person and how I was going to use this commitment to help give me strength through the painful recovery. The psychiatrist told me that my strength and attitudes were uncommon and to keep doing what I was doing. My ability to generate positive self-talk had helped me through other difficult times in my life. Much like my conversation with the priest, the words of encouragement from this doctor were another confirmation that I was on a good path and made me feel much better on the inside. I needed all the encouragement I could get, and coming from a psychiatrist made it even more valuable. Day 5 During my daily burn assessment on day 5, the doctors concluded that I would not need surgery. I had to continue my daily routine while the skin grew back over the burns, but I would not need skin grafts. Every morning I would wake up and hope the pain subsiding even a little. The regrowth of skin was the only thing that was going to reduce the constant and brutal pain. Days 6 to 11. In the days ahead I would continue to process my feelings and so slowly share the inner turmoil with my family and friends. Though these conversations, we all grew closer and our relationship strengthened, which helped us in the healing process. I say helped us heal because it was hard for them too. It was hard for them to deal with my mood swings as I would vocalize anger and grief. Hard to see my burnt, disfigured and in such pain. We were all on a healing journey together. During this period, I was not allowed to see myself in a mirror. When looking forward through our eyes, everything looks the same to us. For my family and friends to look at me must have been tough. What they could see in my face through the bandage was burnt and swollen. I did not know, I did not look the same person, but they looked past that and saw, saw me for the person they knew, not the disfigured person I had was at that time. My sister and I had always been close. We shared a, shared a bit of twisted sense of humor. So there were some much-needed laughs in the burn ward, ward. My brother and I bonded again for the first time in a long time. My, brother, my mother was the strongest of us all, as she has always been. She was there to hold me during the low times on my emotional roller coaster. When I would break down and sob and cry like a baby... My dad's eyes were deep with pain for me. From his eyes, I could see that he would, would have taken my spot and my pain if he could have. My father that was there for everything and anything I needed or wanted. He is a strong man in every way. He kept me in line and was there to listen any time I wanted to talk. I came to realize how much I had taken both him and his love for me for granted. 
Lasha played a role in my recovery. I would talk most openly with her about how I was feeling and what I was thinking. She was a great listener and helped me through a lot of difficult times that were to come. The first lesson in my quest to become a better person was the realization that I've been taking my life and the life of others I loved for granted. I needed to change that and begin to appreciate the love that people had for me. Life is a precious gift and our time on this earth is finite. I was humbled by the outpouring of love and support I received my, from my family and friends. Without them, I'm not sure how I would have survived my time in the burn ward and not lost my mind. Day 12 I woke up every morning in anticipation of the pain diminishing. On the morning of day 12, when I opened my eyes, I could feel the pain had subsided just a little. I was very excited to finally feel a little better and very excited to share the news with my family. I was healing. I was filled with anticipation of getting out of this glass room and getting my independence back. Day 12 was also the first day that my face would not be rebandaged during the daily routine. I was thrilled not to have my entire head covered in thick, wet bandages. That morning, after the nurses removed the bandages from my head, one of the nurses that I'd become very fond of asked if I would like to see myself in the mirror. I hadn't seen my own face in almost two weeks, and I was definitely curious as to what I looked like. I was afraid to look, but curious as well. The face that I saw looking back at me in the mirror was mine. There was no question of that, but I was not prepared for the way I looked. I broke down and cried. My face was covered in thick black scabs. I was ugly. The nurse began to comfort me and say how good I looked. She told me that I was fortunate that she could recognize all of my features and that my face looked the same as the picture in the paper. She also assured me that I would look fine again in the, when the scabs were gone. I knew that I was fortunate and there were many other burn victims much worse off than I. It took a few minutes, but I eventually managed to pull myself together and get over the initial shock. I took a longer look at myself in the mirror, and the nurse was right. I did still look like me, and there was some things not all burn victims are blessed with. My hands still needed daily bandages, but now each finger would be wrapped individually, allowing me to start to touch things. I was now ready to begin pressure therapy on my hands and face. Pressure therapy works by forcing blood away from the surface of the skin. For example, if you take one finger and press firmly on the back of your hand for a few seconds, then remove it, you will see a temporary white spot where your finger was. You force the blood away from the surface of your skin in this area. Keeping the blood away from the skin is imperative to prevent scarring, and the only way to do that is to apply constant physical pressure. I learned that I would be fitted with a special pressure mask and pressure gloves for the following months to help minimize scarring. The occupational therapist took a mold of my face and made a clear, hard plastic mask that would fit over my face perfectly, similar to a goalie's mask in hockey, but formed it to fit every curve of my face. Straps were then mounted to the mask to hold it tightly in place. I was happily, happy to get fitted for this mask as it meant I was a step closer to getting out of the hospital. Pressure gloves were also fitted perfectly 
to my hands. The gloves were made of an elastic-like material that would keep constant pressure on all areas of my hands. Because the gloves were made out of material, there was a number of colors and designs to choose from. I went with plain black gloves in an attempt to be discreet and avoid drawing attention to them. Day 12 marked the day that I was allowed to leave my room to start working full-time with a therapist on skin sensitivity, movement, and strength rebuilding. The brand new skin covering my ha hands and fingers was also ultra-sensitive. Cold seemed colder, hot definitely seemed hotter, and touching anything like sharp corners with any amount of pressure would cause pain. We began to work to desensitize my hands to the feel of things. Early tasks for sensitivity were very simple. For example, the therapist would ask me to put my fingers into a bowl of marbles and move them around and try and grab a handful of them. It sounds easy enough, but even that was difficult initially. I was shocked at ex how extreme everything felt. My mind would interpret how something would feel, but my nerves in my new skin were sending a much different message. The marbles, marbles were cold, hard, and difficult to hold on to. Eventually, I graduated from marbles to frozen peas and then to uncooked rice in a bowl. The rice was the hardest. It felt like a thousand needles jabbing me all over, but I worked hard at it. Hot and cold items were the hardest to desens desensitizing my burns to. It was winter in an Alberta, Canada. Winter is cold. Sensitivity of touch doesn't really affect my face, but hot and cold sure did. My face was burnt worse than my hands, so this made the temperatures seem even more extreme. If I tried to grab a can of soda out of a refrigerator with my bare hands, it would physically hurt me to hold the can. I logically knew the can was not cold, so it shouldn't be hurting me, but the message in my brain was receiving, that can is extremely cold, cold and you need to drop it. Progress was slow, but like the rest of my recovery, I pushed myself very hard. One of my therapists commented that she usually had people had to kick people in the ass to get them to try harder, but with me, she had to fight with me to slow down and stop pushing myself. The occupational therapist helped with motor skills and movement. The new skin on my hands and fingers did not have a lot of stretch or flexibility to it. I could feel how tight the skin was on my hands, even after the morning torture sessions that I'd already been through. I now had a better appreciation of the fact that those painful sessions indeed served a helpful pur purpose. I was given some simple tasks like screwing a plastic nut onto a plastic bolt. Again, this was more, way more difficult than I thought it should be. Every aspect of regaining the use of my hands needed to be worked on. With hard work, I eventually graduated to exercising where the therapist would measure my grip strength. They started to give me real tools to do real tasks, such as hammering in a nail or using a screwdriver. Doing these tasks with a special tool measured how strong I was. As I pushed myself hard throughout all the physical therapy, determined to get my full independence back, I still had some emotional healing to do, but physically I excelled. Day 14. Two days after getting the pressure therapy mask and gloves, I got my wish to be released from the hospital. New skin growth had minimized the risk of infection 
and the pain was getting more manageable by the day. The next phase of my recovery would be as a day patient returning to the hospital every day for continued work with a therapist and for periodic assessment by the doctors. I still was not even close to being well enough to live on my own yet, so I'd moved to my parents' house so they could care for me for a while. The anticipation of getting back to the routine of daily life and being engaged in it brought me excitement. Christmas was coming soon, and I was looking forward to getting out and doing some shopping. I know it sounds crazy, but the little things that we take for granted were big and exciting for me at this point. Day 14 felt like the best day of my life. Thank you for joining me for Straight from the Shack by Dart as I've been reading from Moments of Impact by Tom Wilson. Till next time, stay safe.